You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Welcome you once again to Kootenai Community Church Sunday School. Um, as those that have been with us, we are continuing in the book of Philippians. Somebody asked me this morning, are we still in that book? Yes, we are. And actually, we're still in chapter 1. So if you would turn to chapter 1, we left off last week in verse 26. And we began this week in verse 27. Let's go ahead and open with prayer as we begin this study. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the privilege that we still have in this country to be able to gather together in your name and to freely worship collectively. We ask, Father, that as we meet this morning and as your word is uh, taught We pray for your guidance of your Holy Spirit, that you would give illumination and clarity to what we teach in your word. And Lord, we look to you that you would use this to bring glory to your name. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, uh, Paul is speaking about the gospel. He's uh, anxious for the Philippians, not so much that he can visit them, though his desire and he ultimately is confident that he will be able to do so. But his main concern in this passage and in passages following is that they remain true in the faith. That is, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that there's going to be false teachers, Judaizers, and those that just hate the Lord Jesus Christ and hate those who are His children. Though these Philippians love their citizenship as part of the Roman Empire, because they have many of the same freedoms, excuse me, as they enjoy in Rome. So they're able to have a voice in the process of their citizenship. They speak the common language of Latin, which was common in that period, which they spoke in Rome. And they have... Each of them have a degree of property that they're able to uh, live freely. Not freely, they're taxed, but they're still able to have a place where they may have a home. But primarily, Paul is going to point to them not so much the importance of their citizenship in Philippi, but more to recognize and remember they are citizens of heaven. So let's begin in verse uh, 27. 
Now, as we think of the gospel, we recognize some some specifics in that. It's the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and then sits now at the right hand of the Father. Those who belong to Christ are his children through the exercising of saving faith. That is, saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should be demonstrated in their lives. When we are saved, we're regenerated. God puts his spirit within the person of each believer. So they are regenerated. They're able to commune with God. They're able to pray. They're able to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to understand God's Word, to proclaim God's Word, and to freely uh, partake of the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. I don't mean monetary, but the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. That could be monetary in some form, but that's not what we talk about in the richness of Christ Jesus. That is the fullness of a spirit, and that is all the elements of the fruit of the spirit and the righteousness that we have imputed to us through Jesus Christ. So Paul begins in verse 27. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. He says this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear to be in me. So as we look at this, we looked last time at Paul expecting to visit Philippi. He's anticipating the outcome of the verdict of the Roman emperor that he would be released. That was his hope and actually his conviction. It wasn't revealed to him by God. He didn't have any special knowledge from God that that was going to be actually happening. But he did understand that and look forward to being released. He wanted to be reunited with these Philippian believers and he wanted to exercise fellowship with them.
He was concerned, as I mentioned earlier, about false teachers. <clears throat> he understood that they'd be threatened and the congregation be threatened. If you would, hold your place here and turn back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts and chapter 20. For just a moment, we want to get an understanding of just what Paul was concerned about. Acts chapter 20 and verses 29 and 30. Paul here is praying with the elders, and this is what he prayed. In beginning with verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men arise speaking perverse things to draw people to draw disciples after themselves. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that the night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. So Paul had such a great concern for the saints. He was interceding on their behalf. His concern was so great that sometimes he would even weep over them. He did not want them to suffer And yet he knew that suffering would even draw them closer. But he wanted to intercede on their behalf, mainly to protect them from false teachers. Now, from last week's uh, study that we did, I forgot to mention something that um, was a verse that acknowledged uh, something that we sometimes lose track of, but some have brought false teaching. And then verse 21, back in verse 21, Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he is also said, But I am hard-pressed for both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far much better. Paul dispels the false teaching about soul sleep. There are false teachings even to this day that somehow when a saint dies, a believer dies, they go into this place other than before the Lord and with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're in a form of soul sleep, they call it. So this dispels that false teaching. I just wanted to bring that up to you. So you understand, Paul is bringing forth a truth with confidence. We know that when we leave here, when we depart, we will be with him. So Paul wanted to bring that encouragement to these believers. Okay, back in uh, verse 27. It was always his primary concern about the threat of false teaching. But even if he wasn't able to visit them again, he knew that it wasn't up to him to guard the flock. He would dispel or dispel false teaching and he would give them truth. He nurtured them. He discipled them. He helps bring them along in their maturity process. But he knew ultimately it wasn't him. So if he couldn't be with him, 
He trusted that they would continue to grow in maturity because of Christ himself and the work that he does in us. There's where his confidence was. He knew their source of spiritual strength was in Christ. And they were to trust in the Lord. And as he instructed the Ephesians, they were to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In the reminder of this passage, Paul gives several characteristics uh, of believers to live worthy in Christ. They were to stand firm. That is, their strength and understanding was that they were in Christ. And it didn't matter if they were being attacked and physically or verbally or if they were suffering abuses from the unregenerates that they lived in their midst. Paul knew that they would undergo these things, but he wanted them to stand firm in Christ. He wanted them to exhibit that of an exchanged life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, and I don't, I say this universally, you will see those that claim to be Christians claiming that they have eternal life with Jesus Christ and they believe that He died for their sin, but they continue to live in a life of worldliness. Paul did not want that. He wanted them to be separate, set apart. He understood that they were set apart, being sanctified. And he wanted them to demonstrate that by their very lives. He calls us all to that. This is a universal truth that Paul was bringing forth here. He wanted them to live as Christ transformed them and to continue to grow in that maturity. He also knew that, uh, aside from standing firm, that they were to share with one another because of Christ. They were to share these truths and fellowship in Christ, not just to go somewhere to a Sunday gathering or a midweek gathering, but to truly fellowship. You know, sometimes, and Jim's mentioned this several times in his teaching, sometimes we, quote, call it fellowship if we're just having fun with somebody or having some social time. But true fellowship is that of the aspect of sharing Christ together abiding in Him and and enjoying the fellowship of His Word and the fellowship of the brethren. That is a true fellowship. That is, we are all members of one another, as Paul taught in Corinthians. And we are still in the family of Christ. We are one spirit and one body. We are united in that way. And people sometimes misconceive or misunderstand and lose sight of that. To remember that we are closer than a physical brother or sister. We are united in spirit in Jesus Christ. So Paul wanted them to remember that and continue to carry that fellowship. They were also to strive together in obedience. Think of it. They were in a culture much like our culture today, a highly immoral culture. 
And Cornell had given some vivid illustrations as he's going through teaching in 1 Corinthians of some of the extreme immorality of that period. It was the same in every area of the Roman Empire. Some seemed to demonstrate it more vividly as they did in Corinth. And yet in Philippi, they faced the same society. They were surrounded by unregenerate people. They were surrounded by unbelieving Jews and Judaizers whom they tried to attack Christians. They hated Christians, the Jews did, the unbelieving Jews. The believing Jews, however, were openly having fellowship with other believers in Philippi, as we looked at earlier. So Paul wanted to continue striving together. He was interested in their harmony, that is, that they're united in Christ, and they were demonstrating that. They weren't feigning some kind of affection or or fellowship with one another. They were living it. And they suffered together. They were persecuted together. And Paul wanted them to stand together. We have not faced the persecution as we see in the New Testament church here in this country. But elsewhere, throughout the world, Christians are suffering and even being martyred for the cause of Christ. That may come to a place in this country. We don't know. But Paul is urging us here, and as he urged the Philippian believers, to stand fast in the gospel. We're going to look at how what forms of persecution we face in this country at the present, a little bit later in this study. <clears throat> so he wanted to remind him of those characteristics and in 29 and 30 is also suffering for Christ. And we'll look at some of the elements of that in our current temporary Christian society. Paul wants the Philippians to remain steadfast, united and unafraid. Remember, Paul's writing here from Rome, prison. He's in prison and he's writing these believers, wanting them to be steadfast, immovable and Unafraid. What is the worst that can happen to you? They are martyred and they're with Christ. And that's what he prefaced this whole letter by. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Far better to be with him. So Paul understood and wanted to impart that truth, so they lived it. So they understood no matter what they went through, in regards to persecution, that they would stand strong. Their hope wasn't here. Their hope was eternal in Christ. So Paul wanted them to live that out. He wanted them to remain steadfast in Christ. And as we look at this uh, passage, In this New American, it, it, trans, it translates it only conduct yourselves. And I believe in the King James, it talks about their citizenship. Well, as we look at the essence of this word, we want to understand what, what does that mean? Our conduct, our citizenship. Paul wanted them to recognize some, 
there's been a great division on the interpretation of this text right here. There are some scholars who interpret this to say that, you know, we're to live uh, in accordance with the gospel and be good citizens. In other words, these were citizens of Rome, even though they were in Philippi. That was a Roman part of the Roman Empire. So some commentators try to <clears throat> interpret that as, well, they're supposed to be good citizens of Philippi. Model citizens. And yet, other commentators have translated that word differently. And they come up with the understanding of this citizenship being us understanding that our true citizenship is in heaven. So even though we live here on earth, our true citizenship is with God in heaven for all eternity. So what does that mean in the life of the believer? That takes away the fear. That dispels the temporal concern of what may God may allow us to go through. Remember, His grace is sufficient. Paul tells us that in Corinthians. I'll look at that a little bit later. But we have to understand whatever God in His providence allows believers to undergo and live in this life, He imparts the grace to do so as we partake of that through obedience to His Word. So they, as Paul writes this, he wants them to understand that this refers to Christian conduct in life, that as a citizen soldier of the kingdom of heaven, we belong to the army of Christ. Now you remember, if you would, turn ahead to Second Timothy, just for a moment. Second Timothy chapter 2. And I just want to emphasize what Paul uses as an illustrated form of equating the believers as soldiers. Chapter 2 of Second Timothy, Paul says this, beginning with verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard and from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier is in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So Paul is using illustratively that of us being soldiers. When you think of a military, perhaps contemporary military is not so much uh, a glimpse of this, but we look at the the Roman Empire and the Roman guards or the Roman soldiers. They were obedient. The emperor could order one to to jump out of the emperor's palace to his death, and he would do so instantly. No hesitation. 
So what Paul is referring to when he uses the illustration of a soldier, they're well-disciplined, they're well-trained, and they have the essence of obeying their master or their commander. This he's referring to believers being faithful to God in all things as a soldier of Christ. This is far more important than the illustration of a soldier in human history. They were obedient in this context in Rome. They were obedient, as I said, to the point of death. But Paul wants us to realize we are serving the Holy Creator, God. And far more are we to be obedient to what he's called us to than any human overseer. So Paul is wanting them to focus and realize they're citizens of heaven, even though they're here on earth, and to exercise this citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. That means to conduct ourselves in harmony with the responsibilities that the gospel brings. Yesterday I had... uh, unexpected opportunity. I try to take a walk whenever I'm able to, and I was taking a walk down our road, which is, I go for about a mile, and I came across a neighbor who I uh, haven't known very well. And when he first moved there, there was a lot of conflict with the local ranchers and because of what this individual was doing. Um, he started some type of a sanctuary. And many people were upset about it. They had big public hearings and, you know, went to the city council and they were, you know, trying to uh, see what they could do to have this altered or block him. And I actually partook of some of that. And... When I started talking to him, I was really convicted because I didn't have a good attitude about this man. And I said, I want to tell you something. He looked at me and I I said, I I want to ask your forgiveness. And his mouth literally dropped open. He goes, what? I said, I want to ask your forgiveness because when you first moved here, I was really in opposition to you and I didn't like you at all. I didn't demonstrate the type of attitude that I should have. I'm a Christian. And I didn't demonstrate Christian uh, love at all. I showed no form of charity on your behalf. In fact, I did what I could to oppose you. And he kind of blinked again and said, you know, it's the first time a man has done that with me. He said, I, I just want, he reached out and shook hands and he was literally shaking. And I don't, you know, I didn't quite understand that, but He was moved. Then again yesterday, this was a couple of days before, I met him on the road. And he was talking about something in, in he said, I love creation. And I thought, oh boy, I wonder if this guy's new age or what he is. So I said, oh yeah, I I love what God has done in creation. And it reflects his glory. And he said, absolutely. It brings glory to the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, and the One who provided salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I looked at him and I said, 
are you a believer? He said, absolutely. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm only saved by God's grace through the perfect redemptive act of Jesus Christ. I mean, he articulated the gospel back to me. And I was rejoicing. At first, I was all excited. I thought, I'm going to give the gospel. It'll be a great opportunity. And we shared that fellowship in Christ. And I was even more excited to realize that God had began that regenerative work in him. And yet, for all this period of time, I had this attitude. And once that was acknowledged to him and I asked forgiveness, that broke down the barriers, I guess, for him. And then yesterday we had a sweet time of true fellowship. So I, you never know how God is going to bring people across your path. And yet he was bold. He did not hesitate to give, articulate the clear gospel, very concise and complete. And I have no question that he's a true believer. So Paul is calling us here to reflect what God has done in us to bring glory to Him through living out the Gospel. We're not just saved and are going to spend eternity with Christ, but Christ has begun that work in us here. And that process, as we looked at earlier, that He who began a good work will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus from beginning to fullness of when we're fully glorified and are with Christ it is God's work, beginning to end. And it continues throughout eternity, all of God and from God. Now, Paul wanted to show some of the elements of those who are his children, those who are truly saved through the belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of them is, uh, as we remember back in those, some of you went through Romans with me, but all the way back to the first chapter, Paul began in halfway through chapter one, and he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then the Greek. And of course, the word for power there is dunamis, and it comes from the English word uh, as we get a tra- have it translated from the English word dynamite. It's all powerful. God is able to take that, and this is one of the things that we uh, mutually fellowshiped in yesterday. Take a sinner that once was a blasphemer and transform him into one who worships God and desires to obey Him by His grace. What a powerful work. That transforming power. And one of the things we shared that was equally uh, powerful in our lives was that of the element of being able to forgive. First recognizing Christ forgives us as we repent and turn to him. And then we now have the capacity to exercise that forgiveness, true forgiveness to others because of Christ in us. That's a powerful work. So that's one of the elements of the gospel. And that transformation delivers us also from the power of sin. 
Once we are in bondage to sin, as Romans, Romans 3 points out, all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And yet we understand from Romans 3 and 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, that we are incapable of doing anything that would please or honor God apart from salvation and regeneration by His Holy Spirit. So there's nothing we could do as an unregenerate to merit favor from God or to cause any any redeeming light in our lives for any of the works there is filthy rags. We understand that that transformation now puts us in a place where we can live out the gospel. I must say that uh, this is a very convicting passage. I don't think anyone could study this passage and not be convicted. Are we truly, am I truly, living purely for the gospel? In sight of what God has done in me, in light of all that He's done in this regeneration process and redeeming process, am I given fully to Him? Do I love Him with my whole heart, mind, and strength and spirit? Do I exercise that? I don't think anybody attains to that fullness of that command. But do I even love my neighbor as myself? As we look at the current uh, status in our country, everyone's caught up in this political uh, separation. And everybody's focused on the political situation and the uh, civil unrest that's in this country at this time. But only those that are in Christ can picture those things in a biblical perspective. Because we understand that the unregenerate is incapable of doing anything that's pleasing to God. Only capable of sinning. So as we look at these incidents, we should hate the sin, but recognize God has provided us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those whom God called, he will also bring to himself. It's our responsibility to live out the gospel and also give the gospel. So living that out is never done in our own strength. It's only by the power of God's spirit and only as we're submitted to him. So the first thing happens to us, we're free from the power of sin. Next, we're free from the penalty of sin. Those things happen to us at point of regeneration, point of salvation. In other words, we can still sin, but sin no longer has dominion over us. Romans 6. So we have to understand that though we have the capacity to sin and we live in this fleshly body, we still have the ability in Christ to obey Him. We have the ability by God's grace, because He imparts it as well, He imparts to us repentance. That's given of God. So, we're free of the power of having dominion over us, of sin over us, ultimately, and we're free of the penalty of sin. 
Christ paid that penalty. And ultimately, we will be in the presence of God. So this all happens except the eternal part, and that's when we depart and are with him. Then we will be complete. So Paul is wanting them to understand the depth of the gospel and to allow that to work in them. Now, when he wrote to the Thessalonian church, in 1 Thessalonians, he said he called it the gospel of God, 1 Thessalonians 2.9. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3.2, he called it the gospel of Christ. So it's the gospel of God and it's also the gospel of Christ. Remember, the Thessalonian church is one of the few that uh, is revealed in the epistles that they were obedient. They were found to be loving of each other, and Paul uh, exhorted them to continue even loving more. But they were exemplary church. They were living out the gospel, and they were demonstrating the regenerating work of God's Spirit in them in such a way that it was evident to all. Not just in Thessalonica, but further. Their lives were reflected in such a way that they were being a living example of Christ in us throughout all the territory surrounding Thessalonica. Do we impact even our own neighbors that way? Or our fellow workers that way? That's a question that I had to deal with and still do. We can't put ourselves under some legal uh, tendency to follow the law, but we must understand God does want us to be obedient. He wants us to be submitted to His Holy Spirit through His Word. So it isn't a matter of legalism. It's a matter of simple obedience and submission to God. <clears throat> so Paul wanted him to understand the power of the gospel and then, of course, as we referred to it being a, the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ, he wanted them to understand understand who is the author of the gospel itself. Christ, God. He also wanted to emphasize that the sovereign unmerited grace, because Paul uh, called it the gospel of grace in Acts 20, 24. And many other passages, as we know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we know that that regenerative work is begun by God and is completed by God. Paul wanted them to understand that, and he put an emphasis on that. Then he wanted them to understand what is the message? What is it the gospel brings? Is it just eternal life? No, it's a transformed life here on earth and then eternity with God. That begins at salvation. These Philippians were being challenged to the core. Now, they could meet in fellowship during the midweek and and enjoy uh, collective worship on Sundays, but Paul wanted them to be living this daily. We could go to meetings, and we could sit in studies, and we could do all sorts of things to demonstrate our love for God But the greatest is living that daily. Living out the gospel 
daily in Christ. So Paul wanted him to understand the authorship of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the emphasis of what the gospel does, and then the message of the gospel. May I make known to you, brothers, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's out of 1 Corinthians 15, which I think Cornell should be there by five years. I don't know. Four years. Okay. And then Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but it's Christ who liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul lived the Christian life. It wasn't just a belief. It was his entire life. He understood this. He embraced it. And he served Christ with all his heart, mind, and strength. So the implication of salvation is our living it out daily. We are also, Paul calls us, ambassadors. If you would turn with me just for a moment, and we're going to close here in a second. I'm not finished the text, but I take you to Second Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 20, Paul says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're going to hold it right here and then... Next time that I'm teaching, I will pick up where we left off here in verse uh, 28. So let's uh, close and hold this thought. We are transformed people. We're not like the world. We're in the world, but not of it. And we need to understand God desires us to be humble as he brings forth the understanding of our salvation, recognizing where he took us from and where we now stand in his presence and his righteousness is our righteousness. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your word. I thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul, whom you used greatly to not only bring the gospel, but to pin the essence of your word and to be able to bring it to us, and you preserve it throughout all eternity. We ask now, Father, that you would grant us the grace to enjoin in oneness of fellowship, and that uh, you would bring your word, uh, continue delivering your word through your servant, Cornell. I thank you, Lord, for this fellowship and the blessings that you've brought to each of us to recognize that we are members of one another and that we're your servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, 
Thank you for listening.